So last week I was uh, driving home, uh, trying to make my way through the various construction sites, going unusual ways and finding myself in unusual places because who knows how to get through this stuff. And, and what do I see at this at this uh, stoplight? But a something I, I don't think I don't know that I've seen one before. I don't think I have. But it was a tandem bicycle. But it was a side by side tandem bike. Have you guys seen those? And I thought, now that's an idea, you know, that way you can have a conversation going back and forth, not like this. So I thought that was, that was a pretty neat. And I was reminded of that bicycle when I started putting together today's little message here because uh, we're going to talk about living out our lives in Christ, living out our faith, growing in that faith. You know, it's so easy for us to, to sort of live on, on one or the other extreme. On the one hand... There's the idea that it's all up to me, that I have to make myself patient, I have to live a good witness, I have to, you know, grow up, I have to deal with my, the struggles that I have. It's all up to me, and boy, if I don't measure up, I'm not going to make it. And so I can kind of live that way, and, you know, that's kind of like the works theology, and we all say, well, no, we're saved by grace through faith, but at the same time, then we're told, well, you've got to live this Christian life, and, and all of a sudden, it feels like the burden's put back on us, doesn't it? And so, man, I've got to straighten up, I've got to do this. Or we can sort of go on to this other side of the extreme and say, you know what, I can't do anything, I'm just a filthy rag, uh, you, you are good, you are good, there's nothing good in me, drives me crazy, that song, because uh, I don't think it's true, but you know, we can kind of live like that whole thing, and, and say, well, it's all up to God, and I'm just kind of floating along for the ride, and I really can't do anything, because I'm a worm, and I'm useless, da, 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 total depravity, and so, you know, I'll just kind of wait until, you know, God does it, and, and, and that's the way it goes, and, it, and both of those, of course, are, are extremes, and nobody really totally lives that way, but we can, we can slide along this path, can't we? When it comes down to thinking about what it means to live out our life as a responsible, growing follower of Jesus. But what we're going to see today in this challenge is, is really this whole, we're going to try and sort our way through and see this partnership that Paul instructs us to just live it. I mean, if we're going to go away with this, I mean, it's put in a way that, that the burden, it sounds like it on us, but we're going to see how that works out. But really, what he's going to say here in this last little bit is just live it. Live out this Christian life. And the passage we're going to look at, uh, at first, it confuses some people. Because there's this weird phrase in here. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation, but I thought Jesus did it. And so let's read it, and then we're going to source our way through. Okay, here we go. Therefore, now remember last week he just, he'd given the example of Jesus, right? And this, this humble idea, and the whole idea is that, listen, if Jesus, God himself, can humble himself, if the, the definition of God's character is self-sacrifice, if God can do it, you can do it too for the sake of other people, right? So that's what we saw last time. So then he goes, carries on. Therefore, so if you've got this example of Jesus, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, here we go, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Kind of a heavy, heavy verse. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Do everything without arguing or grumbling. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. All right. 
So this, this little passage here, these first couple of verses, we're going to go a bit further and develop it, but let's, let's think on this for a minute. And it's really all about, listen, work out your salvation with cheerful or with joyful obedience, we're going to see. That, that's, the, that's the command. That's this whole thing. It, we're talking about faithful obedience. Now, if you just flip back in your Bibles or on your device a little bit and look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Verse 8 of chapter 2 is, is the verse in the Christ hymn that connects what went before in the, in, right from the end of chapter 1. It, it talks about the humility of Christ. And then it also talks about now the obedience of Christ, which is what ties in with what we're doing now. And so Christ and his example and his, his um, pattern and his invitation to be with him lies at the heart of this. And so he begins, it's now this obedience. Before it's humility, now this lesson is obedience. Be obedient. Live out your salvation. He begins with this compliment. Hey, just like you've been doing, just you've been obedient. I see your efforts. I know you're trying to do this. You are being obedient. That is, you are being submissive to God's ways, God's plans, and God's heart. You're accepting the way of God, and whether or not I'm there watching you over your shoulder, making sure you're doing right, or now that I'm distant from you, I'm so encouraged that you're carrying out this life of obedience before God. Whether I'm present or absent, what he's doing is he's tying back to chapter 1, verse 27, because here's what you need to understand. Verse 27 of chapter 1 governs what he's going to say for the next bunch of verses until halfway through chapter 2 and getting into chapter 3. It's this whole thing of living a life worthy of your calling. God has called you to be his son. God has called you to be his daughter. God has called you to be his people. And now he's saying, and now what you need to do, you need to live that out. You need to live a life worthy. And Paul keeps tying it back to this whole thing. Now, here's what you need to get. In this passage, obedience equals working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what he's talking about. If you look at the structure just at that verse, you'll kind of see it's what's called a chiasm, just to get fancy. And he starts off by saying, hey, listen, you know what? Um, I want you to carry on your obedience. And then he's got this little middle part, whether I'm present or absent. And then he goes on and says, so live out your salvation with fear and trembling. What he's doing is equating obedience with living out your salvation with fear and trembling. So how is it that we live out our faith and work out our salvation? We work out our salvation by living in obedience. And that 12th verse is now what he's going to explain in more detail what he means, okay? Obedience equals working out your salvation in fear and trembling. So let's think about this now. There's a partnership that takes place here. A partnership. There's a human, divine partnership. Now, He's, let's work, break it down. Work out your salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear the word salvation, it's so often, we just think about kind of our what, justification. That's the fancy word, right? Just as if you had never sinned. We just kind of think, oh, well, I'm saved now. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And then when God brings about the new creation, I'm going to be part of this new creation. And that's what my salvation is. And certainly that's true. 
But that's just a part of salvation. The, the biblical picture of salvation is so much more, it's so much richer, it's so much better than just this idea that, okay, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to die. No, no, it, it's this idea for sure of God redeeming us, God paying the price to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and back with him into the kingdom of life. But, but salvation is also his work of transformation in your life. That's why it's, 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 this, it's this idea of, of getting us to the place where we're living in harmony with God himself, when we are suited to be in his presence, where we have been changed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's all part of our salvation. It's this transformation. They used to use the fancy word sanctification, okay? But we kind of toss out those religious words because it's like, huh? At least for me, it's that way. But it's this, our salvation is much bigger. It's, it's coming to Christ, having our sins washed away, being forgiven, having the promise of eternal life, being promised of resurrected life, all those things. But then it's this ongoing work of God working in our hearts to make us like Jesus. That's why the Bible says that we, you know, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's this, it's this much bigger picture. So God is saying... When he says, work out your salvation, he's saying, participate in this growth process. Participate in this transformation that's happening. Reflect the transformation that is being brought about in your life and heart by the Holy Spirit. Live that out in practical, practical ways. I like how the easy, the easy to read version puts it very well. So you must continue to live in a way that gives meaning, practical meaning, to your salvation. That it's not just some promise that's going to happen way down in the future, and who knows, well, hopefully down in the future, but it's not going to happen way out there. It's something that is lived out right now, and it has meaning, it has significance. It's applied in my life today. Put into practice the implications of the gospel. Live lives of grace. Treat other people better than they deserve in spite of how they treated you. Live lives of love and self-sacrifice. That somehow when you touch the life of the person at the counter behind the till, that somehow they experience the dignity that love gives somebody that's serving you. Work out your salvation. Be obedient and forgive those who trespass against you. Forgive them. Live it out. Live out your salvation. Live out your salvation in the busyness, the, the craziness, the insanity that is our life today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And cut out those things in your life that are getting in the way of you doing that. At first, I'm going to say, okay, whatever I do, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. And then once that's in place, and once I figure out how I'm going to live that out in everything that I do, then I'm going to add to it the things of life. This is what it is to live out your salvation. It's a, it's a very practical thing. It's not some pie in the sky, holy roller kind of a deal. Well, you know, no, no, it's, it's like, how is how is the kingdom, how is the gospel lived out in my life, in my relationships, in my scheduling, in my finances, and all of those things? How is it lived out? This is working out my salvation. And here's the thing. It's serious stuff. 
Because he says, work out your salvation, be obedient to the gospel with fear and trembling. Now you need to understand, these are emotional words. This is, this is the Holy Spirit through Paul saying, you know, this is, not a, this is not intended to be an intellectual exercise. This is your whole being getting emotionally wrapped up, intellectually wrapped up, physically wrapped up into this working out of my salvation. There are emotional words. But, you know, I like it. Ross Hastings says, you know, he, he says, work it out with awe and reverence, not panic and alarm. I, I kind of like how he put that because it, it's easy for us to kind of jump into that, isn't it? No, no, no. He's not talking about panic and alarm. He's not just saying that, you know, you've got to do this frantic rushing around because the hammer's going to come down. No, not that. What is it? Fear and reverence. Fear, essentially it's a sense of awe. Is that, Canadians say it the same way, right? Awe, 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 awe. <laughs> sense of awe, A-W-E. That's, that's really what it captures it. You know, it's such good news that Jesus is our brother and Jesus is our friend and Jesus is full of grace and Jesus is with us and and God, God Almighty sings songs of delight over us and God the Father stands all day long with his arms open wide to his stubborn and rebellious stiff-necked people and invites them to come home. This is such good news. But somehow in our captivity of that news and our bringing it home, somehow, I think somehow we've lost a bit of that awe, most of us. We've lost a little bit of that reverence. The intimacy of God is sometimes sometime masked too much the, the holiness and the otherness of God. And it's really hard to keep God at the center of our lives. At least for me. Man, it's hard to keep God at the center of our worship services. It is for me. Man, I'll tell you what, it's been rough on my psyche and heart <laughs> in COVID, this whole thing. And a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting down here, being in the service, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, man, you know, they're not here, they're not here, they quit, they're going to da, da, da. And Sheena leans over to me and says, you better take a breath because I can feel you tensing up. What kind of insanity is it that I put, it'd be bad enough if I put you guys at the center of my worship experience, but I'm putting people who aren't here at the center of my worship experience. (laughs) Now, you want to talk about weird idolatry, how about that? We're such idolatrous people, aren't we? I shouldn't say that. Well, I'm going to say that, because I told you I know you quite well. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I mean, how, how do you put God at the center of your life? How do we recapture this sense of awe and reverence? I mean, can we at least start here? Can we at least say, you know what? Uh, when I come together as the corporate worker, and the reason I come together for corporate worship, I come for one reason, and it's not so I can feel good, it's not what I can get. I come together, why? Because it's God is at the center, and God likes it when his kids come together, and God dwells in the praise of his people, and I want to dwell with God because God wants to dwell with us, so I'm going to at least, at least can, I, can I try? Can I try and have God at the center at least what we do Sunday mornings for a couple hours? Can I start there? It's a good thing God gave me Sheena. You better take a breath. 
when something's getting me worked up that's going on. Don't know a song, don't like that song. Where's this person? How come they turn to a starting slow? That guy didn't remember. No. Can we start here? And maybe, maybe, please God, I'd have a hope of getting God somewhere back towards the center of my life and my existence and cast off this idolatry if I can recapture, even in my worship, some sense of awe and reverence of this intimate Jesus who died and said, yeah, I'm awful and I'm to be revered, but I'm also your friend. I mean, how can we, can we work on getting this balance back? Can I do it? Because we've got to work this salvation out. We've got to work out this relationship. We've got to work out this obedience with awe and reverence. Not panic and alarm, but a sense of God. God. God is here. Jesus walks amongst us. The Holy Spirit is floating around this place, looking at my heart, looking at your heart, looking for ways in which to, they're allowing him and inviting him to enter in and bring about this transformation, that the Holy Spirit would give you the comfort that you need right now, that the Holy Spirit would give you the challenge that you need right now, that, that with this, when we gather the corporate body, that the Spirit is here in a way that he's not here when we're just alone. And it's the awesome, almighty God who breathes stars into existence. Changes the hearts of kings as he does the waterways. And invites us to come and acknowledge his presence and ask the Holy Spirit to put Jesus back in the center of my life because boy through the week I get disoriented work out your salvation that's a challenge what is my all quotient of my life what is it really as I go to work tomorrow morning, as you go to your neighborhood, as you, as you have dinner together with friends and family and workmates, what's your awe quotient? And what's my idolatry quotient? It's such a challenge. And Paul, by the Spirit, he understands the challenge that it is, and he understands how, man, we just can feel like such failures like this. We may as well give up. And so, and so the ink isn't even dry. The ink's not even dry on this idea of working out your salvation before he, he puts in that. Oh, but listen, it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. It's, it's God, this God, this God we just spent a second thinking about. That very God, that God, he is at work in my life, in your life, in this fellowship. God, God, God looks upon you and me and us and God takes a spell from creating stars and works in your life to bring about the image of Christ. 
chapter 1, verse 16, it says, you know, God is bringing to perfection the good work he began in you. God. God is at work. <laughs> what is that? What's his work? Well, he says, what he does, he changes our will. He changes our will. He makes me want to do what pleases him. You know, when my will isn't to do, isn't to respond, isn't to act, isn't to initiate in, in the way that Jesus would, in the way that God would, in the way that we talked about last week, this, this, in this Christ hymn of the character of God, somehow I've pushed the Holy Spirit out of my heart. Somehow I've got distracted or I've become rebellious or I've been neglectful or in some way. That's why, that's why Jesus, you know, he tells us, be filled with the Spirit and it's a continuous action. You've got to get up every day and say, Lord, you know, I leak, fill me with your Spirit again. Because it's God's work and by his Spirit to change my will to want to be like Jesus. And not only that, but he also gives us the power. He helps us. He gives us the power to act in this way. I like, again, the, 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 this, this way that the easy read does this. It's God who's working in you to help you want to do what he pleases him and he gives you the power to do it. And so on the one side, we've got this thing, work out your salvation and all this kind of stuff. On the other hand, it's this whole idea of it's actually God who does it. You know, I found this, it, we've got to understand, like in our little, here it's like this. Yeah, we're in this tan tandem bicycle, but I'm just a little kid. I, you know, I've got a pretend steering wheel. <laughs> the one that's really giving the direction and the power is the God in the situation. And yet he just in his grace, he invites us to pedal along. To pedal along. As he provides the will and the power to ride the bike. Well, then, then he goes on. He, he's going to now get, he's going to get specific about this obedience, about this living out the will of God. And it comes in verse 14. Specifically, what he's talking about here to these Philippians as they've got a bit of a division going on in the church. Specifically, he says, listen, what I'm really talking about here is the importance of unity in working out your salvation. No grumbling or arguing. It's really quite interesting because uh, when you dig into exactly the phrase that he it uses, it's, 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 a, it's a reference back to the Old Testament. And it's a reference back to when Moses was leading the people. Remember Moses leading the people out of the promised land, out of slavery, into the, towards the promised land, out of slavery, all this kind of stuff. And do you, remember, do you remember, if you know the story, you haven't read it recently, the people begin to grumble against God. Moses, which essentially was grumbling against God, you know, we want to go back because they had leaks there and all these, all these whatever, all these different things. And, and in, in the song of Moses, it says, you know what? Um, God says, Israel are not my people anymore. They are instead a warped and a crooked generation. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, Alan. When you grumble and argue, you're not my person. You're not my follower. You are acting as a crooked and a perverse generation. Because part, a big part, a huge part of working out your salvation 
is in your relationship with other people and not to be grumbling. You know what grumbling is? Grumbling is like sullen discontent. Grumbling is this passive-aggressive deal where we kind of refuse to face up to issues and we face the, you know, we don't want to argue with it, you know, debate the person, we don't want to put our things, you know, and so we, we, you know, we don't say anything, we just, instead we just sort of walk away mumbling and grumbling, undering and complaining under our breath. God says, listen, when you're doing that, you're not living out your salvation. You're acting as a perverse and crooked generation. You're acting like you belong to a different kingdom than my kingdom. Because you see, as verse 3 says, if we consider the other person as more important than myself, I'm not going to go away grumbling. If I've got an issue, I'm going to say, hey, you know, Dave, I've got, I got this problem here. We need to work, we need to work this this out because this is kind of ticking me off da, da, da. and we work it out you know crisis in the center and stuff that's what a Christian does because if I don't like what Dave's doing I just kind of grumble uh, 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 go home and complain to Sheen about it or whatever no 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 that's perverse that's not the way of Christ it's not the way of his people So when we work out our salvation with God providing the power and the way and the steering with his will, some good things happen. And he goes on and he, he talks about some great results. Let's, let's pick it up here. Some great results. Next verses. Verses. Why do we do that? So that. Here's the result. Here's the consequence. When you live out your salvation this way, so that you may become blameless and pure, Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. See, that's that Moses deal. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He said, the first result is that you'll be blameless and pure. Blameless means above accusation. That when people think about your life, when God thinks about your life, if, you, if you're living out your salvation in the power of the Holy Spirit, with, uh, according to the will of God, and you're not grumbling, and you're not complaining, and you're, you're working things out properly, then you'll become above accusation. As a matter of fact, you'll be pure. That means uh, of unmixed character. The character of Jesus will become more evident and take over more of your life. We won't have the character of Jesus in our life mixed in with a whole bunch of, of deceit or vice or things in my life that don't reflect God's character. And the good news about that is then you will shine like stars. The idea here is living out a witness in a broken, warring world. Man, whether you look globally at the Congo, Ethiopia, Ukraine and Russia, we just really have a hard time getting along together when it comes to war. But we have a hard time getting along together just in the little things of life too, don't we? And the world so desperately needed to see and continues to need to see a group of people who know how to disagree and not war. 
man, I'm so heartbroken about how the church universal failed in this whole COVID thing. We'll disagree. I, I don't know. There's lots of whatever, different positions, this, that, and the other. Fine. But could, could, could we have done it with love for each other a bit more? Like that's, it would have made such a difference to the world. If we had, yeah, you know, we've got maskers, anti-maskers, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, whatever. Got our reasons, got our thinking, but, you know, um, we're having these conversations in Christ. Because then I think we would have shone like stars. If we could have shown a different way to engage things that affect everybody. I understand. If we could have shown a different way to do it. We would have shone like stars. And not only would we be blameless and pure and above accusation, and not only would we be a better witness, but it would have been an encouragement to other believers. Paul says, like, if you live this way, that's going to be awesome because then, then I get to tell Jesus I didn't waste my life. I didn't waste my life. And then he finishes this off with something really kind of interesting. He finishes it off with joy in the face of sacrifice. He finishes it off with what our theme for the year is, with these verses. Remember, our theme for this year is take joy, as in take joy from God and take joy wherever you go and spread it around, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. And it's from this passage where he, where he ends it off. He, he's talked about all of these things, and he's talking about, you know, this is, he realizes it's hard. He says, listen, but, but means that sometimes living this life isn't going to, come out exactly the way it is. We're not going to seem like stars and maybe we won't make other people proud and it's going to be difficult. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share or take your joy with me. It's this whole idea that he understands that, that it's, it's hard. It's, it's a sacrifice to live this way. He understands that living this life worthy of the gospel is not easy. There's a reality of sacrifice. The sacrifice and service that's coming from you, he says. It's worship. When you could be in a spot where you feel like grumbling and you don't, instead you speak praise or you speak thanksgiving or you at least ask the Holy Spirit for help, God says, you know what, that's a sacrifice of praise. When you treat somebody with grace, somebody better than they have perhaps deserved to be treated, that's a sacrifice of praise. When you put Jesus back in the center of a decision that you're making with your money or with your scheduling, that's a sacrifice of praise. And he's not saying it's easy. He understands, God understands, this is a sacrifice. You want to do this and you wish you could do that. But instead, I'm going to do this because Jesus is at the center. God understands, this is a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's easy to say these things from a stage or read them on a page, but it's, it's hard. Tomorrow, try and do the whole day without grumbling once. <laughs> I might make it till I get to work. 
Just, just try. Just tomorrow, just keep track of yourself. Try, not, not grumbling once. Try, try tomorrow. That's good for Monday. Tuesday, let's step it up. Don't do one selfish thing. Just one day. Don't do one selfish thing. Always, in every single decision that you make, in every interaction that you have, put the other person first for one day. And still have your hair and your teeth from not being ground down to nothing. It can be exhausting to live out your gospel. Because we don't allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control. And, and there's this whole thing that we've got to continually pray, God, the Holy Spirit, take control again. Because I want to grumble right now. And instead, I'm going to give you praise. He understands it. That's why he says, but. <laughs> but, listen. Even if you pour out a drink offering. Even if it's not working. Even if your witness isn't noticed. Even if you're not given a pat on the back for doing well. Understand, when you ask the question, was it worth it today when I've, you know, I've lived this day without grumbling, I treated the other people well, I still just got bad in the back. Is it worth it? There's no results. The answer is yes. Why is it yes? Because it's a sacrifice of praise. Because it's an act of worship. And God sees that as a sacrifice of praise. And that's why Paul's saying that, listen, even but, even if there's a but here, even if we live this way, and man, things did not look like it didn't end up. I thought if I treated that person with grace last time I saw them, you know, that they'd be nice to me. No, they just treated me worse again. But I can still rejoice. Why? I can still rejoice because God has been honored. I've lived out my life worthy of the gospel. And God is pleased with my sacrifice of praise. And so it can be hard tomorrow if you do the day without grumbling. But when you lay down in bed and you say to yourself, was that worth it? The answer is yes, you can rejoice because you had a life well lived. You lived out the gospel. You offered up a sacrifice of praise. And when you close your eyes... And you still your heart. If you listen carefully. And if you push away the other voices. Of what the world will tell you about how foolish you were. And how wrong you've been done to. If you just still your voice. And say to the King of Kings, this was my sacrifice of praise today. You will hear God phoning you <laughs> to say, well done. You lived it. Today you lived a life worthy of your calling. Almighty God, we want to live that. I know, I know we are here today because we want to live a life worthy of our calling. And sometimes I do okay with that and I'm encouraged by that and sometimes I fail and sometimes I succeed but the results aren't what I want them to be and, and it can be so, so hard. 
And so I'm thankful that I'm just the little guy on the bike and that you are providing the power to, to change my will into your will and that you are providing the strength and the courage and the stamina uh, to keep living out the gospel in practical ways. So Lord, continue that work within me, within us as individuals and as a church. Reminders that this is a sacrifice of praise, that sometimes we are exhausted because we have been poured out like a drink offering and we have got nothing left when we collapse in bed at night, emotionally and spiritually and physically. But then remind us, Lord, that when we do this in your strength, we have lived a life well lived. We have lived a life worthy of the gospel. It is a sacrifice of praise. And you are pleased. And you sing a song of delight over us. Because you love us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.